Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. This is Mark's account of the life of Jesus. And uh, we uh, start at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. That when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who has touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came to him from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At, at this, they were completely astonished. Well, good morning. Here at Riverside, we are a group of people who are convinced that Jesus has changed everything. Uh, and on this first Sunday in Advent, as we remember God with us, and we remember people waiting for that Messiah. We are a group of people, both in this gathering, we've had one at 9.30 here. We've also got a gathering over in Bourneville, one church in different locations, but all gripped by what Jesus has done for us. And as part of that, therefore, we've been doing a series over this last couple of months called Jesus the Game Changer, looking at ways in which Jesus has changed society. 
in which Jesus has transformed our framework so that many of the values that we hold dear as a society now actually stem back from Jesus and his teaching, the way he lived his life, all that he did, and the way that therefore his church, his followers of down through history, tried to kind of falteringly live that out. And this morning we're going to focus on the whole subject of care. So did you know that in the UK there are 6.5 million people who are carers? which means they provide unpaid care for an ill or older or disabled person beyond kind of initial child care. Three in five of us will be carers at some point in our lives. 1.4 million people provide over 50 hours of unpaid care per week in their lives. Uh, the care provided by unpaid people in this nation is estimated it's worth 119 billion pounds per year, which is more than the whole budget of the NHS. One in 10 carers care for someone who isn't a family member at all. One in three carers say that their household income has gone down by over 20,000 pounds as a direct result of them being a carer. Over half of carers suffer depression due to their caring, and around 80% of carers suffer anxiety and stress due to it. Carers are twice as likely to be in ill health than the rest of the population. Over 60% of carers worry about the lasting impact of caring on their relationships. Now, I guess that most of us are not surprised by those kind of statistics. Most of us will at some point provide care for others and probably will receive care from others. It's the way our society is and whether the government admits it or not, it's what our society depends on. But have you ever asked why? Why? Why do we think that it is important to make sacrifices for someone else? Sacrifices that are costly to us, both in terms of finances and also our well-being. Why do we think it's a good idea? After all, if there is no God and it is just survival of the fittest, well then surely we should leave the weaker members of society behind so that we can continue to flourish. And our attitude to care that genuinely it is a good thing and a necessary thing, it might surprise us that it is actually not the way it's always been. I don't know if you've been, ever been to Tunisia. This is Tunisia. This is Carthage. This is a graveyard for children that are disposed of by their parents in the ancient world when they were not needed, not wanted, disabled, or not frankly going to contribute to society, they were simply left to die. And as one academic from Oxford University says, we like to think that we're quite close to the ancient world, that they were really just like us. Uh, The truth is, I'm afraid, that they really weren't. Did you know it was Christians who first coined the term welfare state, Archbishop William Temple? And in the ancient world, it was the early church that were noticed for caring for the people that society didn't care for. Jesus changed everything. And so we're going to ask this morning, why? 
How did he change the game for us? Why is it that we have this view of care that so often down through history it wasn't the same? And it all starts with a verse that we've reflected on already, stems right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Some foundational verses that speak right into so many issues in our society today and always have. That whoever anybody is, whoever you are, regardless of your ability or not, regardless of your health, your wealth, your background, your status, anything, whoever you are, there is something of God's image in you. You are valuable, you have dignity, you are to be respected, regardless of whether you apparently contribute to society or not, you are valuable. Regardless of how disabled or disabling you are, you are valuable, made in God's image. And today in this passage that was read to us, we see Jesus living that out in quite a profound way, modeling to us what care looks like. And the implications for us are clear, that as our society moves away from our Christian heritage, we just need to pause for a moment and say we may be moving away from something that we hold very dear, which may take us in a direction that we may not be prepared for. That if we move away from the idea that there is a God who does careful people and everybody made in God's image, then why can we not treat them as we please? Framed in this lovely verse from Matthew 25 where Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And as we go through, there's a question there for all of us. Who is the, quote, least of these in our sphere that we are able to care for and that as we care for them, we may realize we're actually caring for Jesus. Who is it in your world that you have the opportunity to care for and in the process you're actually caring not just for them, you're doing it for Jesus. Uh, But also there's a huge encouragement for those here who are carers and maybe even for those who are broken by your caring. That in that, you're caring not only for that person, You are caring for Jesus. And this morning you can hear Jesus saying, thank you. So three things from this passage, three ways that Jesus changes our perspective on care that are so important. And the first is this, Jesus changes our understanding of what care looks like. What care looks like. I don't know if you remember a few years ago these photos. Do you remember the photo? Princess Diana famously going to a care home and not only meeting with and speaking with, but as a member of the royal family, touching those with HIV AIDS. Shocking at the time in the culture of that day where there was limited understanding and so on. And as a result, we, we, we like the phrase, get our hands dirty, don't we? It's something that implies getting stuck in. And yet, many of us still do the equivalent of this. We get these sort of gloves, and they do a nice thwack sound as you put them on. And we provide care, yes, 
but not with the same degree of intimacy. If I can get this one on. A bit tricky sometimes, aren't they? Now hear me as I say this. If you're in the healthcare profession, I'm not advocating you don't use gloves. <laughs> but Jesus in this story has a very radical approach. You've got two little stories basically of Jesus encountering different people and showing profound care for them. First, you've got a synagogue ruler, somebody of importance, somebody of significance in their society. And his daughter is ill and is dying. And Jesus has got this reputation for making a difference. And so they call Jesus, please. And look at what is said, verse 23. Jairus pleads earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And then a little bit later on, we've got this incident with this woman who does what? She touches Jesus, please. And then ultimately Jesus goes to this girl that is dying and he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. And do you see that there? Something profoundly personal, intimate, Jesus touched the people that were not to be touched. There were no gloves on with Jesus' approach. In a culture where death meant that somebody was unclean, Jesus touches, takes her by the hand. In a culture where a woman who was bleeding for 12 years meant that she was ceremonially unclean, and what that meant is if you touched her, it meant that you had to go and clean yourself before being right with God. It meant that people wouldn't touch them in case it meant they were kind of unclean before God. She touches Jesus. And so since then, the church has tried to model that profound care of getting our hands dirty. I used to work for a Christian development organization called Tear Fund. Tear Fund working with the world's poor all around the globe. And in many places where there was an emergency situation, refugee camps and so on, Tear Fund gained a reputation in the development community for always being the one of the ones that left last. They kept on even when others left. I don't know if you've read the book Blood River by Tim Butcher, all about a guy in the Congo, walking along the River Congo in that desperate, broken land filled with war, and in a country that basically largely the West has left, the UN left. Who are the people that are still there? They're the nuns, they're the missionaries, they're the monks who've stayed. Because for Jesus, care involves taking your gloves off. And profoundly caring. The word compassion, what does it mean? It means to suffer with. Not just providing care from a distance in a professional incapacity, brilliant, brilliant though that is, but actually choosing to suffer with costly to ourselves as we care for those in need. So may I ask you, what does that care look like in your world? What other people that you know you've kept yourself a little bit of a distance in your care because frankly it's hard. 
How do we model that, getting our hands dirty? And what about for those who are carers and you are broken by it, you are exhausted in the middle of the night as you prepare a feed or as you do some of the toileting stuff or as you're hit or as you're uh, in your capacity, you're shouted at by somebody you're caring for. What does that look like? Maybe, just maybe, it looks like Jesus saying, you're caring for me. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get help with that, and you should if you're in some of those situations, if at all possible. But for those who are overwhelmed here this morning, that well done. Well done. Thank you, says Jesus. So Jesus changes our understanding of what care looks like, but he also changes our understanding of who to care for. In many places in our society, but also in the ancient world, it was obvious that you cared for your family. That was kind of part of the deal. Uh, But Jesus broadens it way beyond that. And we see that in the story. Do you notice it? It's a fascinating story of two different types of people. So the first, do you notice? One of the synagogue leaders, and we've got his name, Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This guy was an establishment figure, well-respected, would have been known, would have had a support group, lots of people knew him, he would have contributed to society. He, we know his name, it's recorded in history for us. A named influential person. And look at the contrast. And a woman who was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. We don't even know her name. She's been bleeding non-stop for 12 years, making her a real outcast from society. One influential, one unnamed, insignificant person. One who had lots of support, lots of people around them. One on her own who even mere contact with her would tarnish you and your reputation in the society. And of course, what does Jesus do? Extends the same care for all of them. Why? All are made in God's image, regardless of what they do or do not contribute, regardless of what effect that may have on society, all. Every single human is made in God's image. And the church has falteringly tried to live this out. And a few years ago, there's a fascinating article in The Guardian in which the politician Roy Hattersley wrote about an experience he had. Now, Roy Hattersley would refer to himself as an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And he was invited to go out and spend some time with the Salvation Army. And he was reflecting on his experience of the Salvation Army serving you know, at night in their kind of homeless shelters or serving those who had no food or whatever it was. And his experience as that as an atheist, as somebody who didn't believe in God, and somebody who, who, who struggled with what they believed and yet was massively impacted by what they did. He would have referred to himself as, as quotes, knowing the truth after I, all I know what's true, he says, unlike these... Uh, insignificant Salvation Army, and yet listen to these words, telling words, very honest. He said, it ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian, yet men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles do not go out with the Salvation Army at night. He said, the only possible conclusion is that their faith influences enough of them to make them morally superior to atheists like me. (laughs) 
The truth, in inverted commas, he said, may make us free, but it has not made us as admirable as the average captain in the Salvation Army. Now, I think they're profound words, and I don't actually agree with him on all of them, because there are many, many people in our society, of faith and not, of all faiths and not, who do some profoundly encouraging, brilliant things, sharing good, doing fantastic caring. And yet his point is this, that right at the very center of Christianity, you have God himself caring for humanity by becoming one of us, choosing to suffer with us, right at the very fabric of our faith, and therefore the church kind of has to live that out because that was what was modeled to them. A few years ago, I was in a church uh, in which a local counselor was in the church building because they were on a project together, and they looked at the notice board in this church of all the activities that were going on in the church. And this local councillor was astonished and asked uh, the person in the church, what is, does all this happen here? Yes. And, and who, 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 who does all this? Which staff do all this? And this person said, well, actually, it's volunteers that kind of look after this. And, you know, and this councillor was astonished at all that this little church was doing in community, unpaid, just to bless and care for the community. A study from Pennsylvania in America recently did a thing where they looked at just 12 churches and they assessed, with all the complexity, don't know how they did it, but they assessed that the economic impact on society was $52 million by those 12 churches in the way that they cared for people that nobody else did, in the way they built a framework, a structure, a community in the way that nobody else did. $52 million by just 12 churches economically benefiting society. The point is this. Jesus changes everything in understanding of who to care for. Do we care for only those that can say or do say thank you? Do we care for those for whom are only the ones that are, quotes, hardworking in our society? Do we care for those that are only one of our own, whatever that may mean? Jesus changes everything. Jesus encourages us and supports us to care for those who don't or can't say thank you. For those who are frankly annoying or odd. To those for whom the care will go on and on and on and on. And can I just say here, as a matter of concern about some of the narrative in our society at the moment, with a heavy emphasis on praising those who are, quotes, hardworking, there are many in our society who will never contribute economically to society for whom it is very, very hard work to even lift a hand. Jesus calls us to care. I was given a few years ago by my brother-in-law a brilliant little statue. He's in the art world, it was very trendy. This statue of this poverty, child in poverty, stooped over, kind of bones wasting away, with the Louis Vuitton logo stamped all over it. And the point of the artist is quite profound, two things. One is, of course, where our Louis Vuitton stuff comes from, <laughs> who it's made by. But even more profound, was a reflection on certain types of poverty being cool in our society and others not. 
certain people we do want to care for and we see the celebrities praising and certain that just disappear on the margins of society. God calls us, Jesus models, all are made in God's image. And for those who are overwhelmed with care, Jesus says, well done, well done. So Jesus changes our understanding of what care is and who to care for. But thirdly and finally, Jesus shows us how he cares for us. Because there's something even more profound than just a model that we follow. Somebody inspirational like a sort of spiritual guru that we can kind of falteringly try and follow. Jesus goes way, way beyond that. We go back to the story that we read. And do you notice what happens at the end? How Jesus interacts with them and then what the response is? Look, verse five, he says to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And then when he heals the daughter who is not just ill but is dead, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. In other words, Jesus' care is not just a temporary fix. Jesus' care, he's in it for the long game, even beyond death. Which is why as he hangs on the cross, he says to one of the thieves on the cross with him, today you will be with me in paradise. His care going on even to the point of death. All of us need help. All of us need care. And God himself, as we remember at this beginning of Advent season, God himself saw our need and stepped in to care for us, not just now, but for all eternity, offering us that perspective of regardless of health, regardless of disability, regardless of circumstances now, there is the offer and the hope of eternity freed from suffering. That's profound care. No wonder, verse 42, the reaction of the people is they were completely astonished. Completely astonished. And may we be people who provide that same sense of care that we recognize our need of hope of life and see what God has done for us in Jesus, dying, giving his all for us, shattering death as we've already sung about. And then we can be astonished by that and then share that same care, that same walking faithfully with people who are broken, that others might be completely astonished at us. Not because of us, but because we're astonished with Christ. May we share that same care.